Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Very few of the survival scenarios would be as nearly as bad as they become if people were just dressed appropriately. It's a major factor in how these real-life survival stories play out. It was ego that said, all right, then I'll just leave. And that person left and that person died in two different particular situations. But one really common mistake that you see happening, they get out and they get underneath a bridge or an overpass. Those actually create almost a vacuum effect as the tornadoes passing by can literally suck you out from underneath that bridge. Hey guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast number six with Craig and me, David, and producer Ben, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the tactics, gear, skills, and mindset you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster, and show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. So today, guys, I'm just going to do a spoiler. We're going to have Creek Stork back again. Uh, He was in podcast two, but before we bring... Creek in. Craig, would you tell our listeners how they can get the most out of this podcast? All right, everybody. So to get the most out of this podcast, go subscribe to The Survival Show over at patreon.com forward slash The Survival Show. There you can access the show notes and unlock exclusive content, great rewards, and ways to get involved with The Survival Show, including early bird access to new gear and resources that we are developing, For example, David and I have put together a new survival guide that's going to be coming out real soon. You can click on the link in the podcast description or go to patreon.com, The Survival Show. Go sign up now. All right, guys, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into this. Okay, guys, so Creek needs no introduction, but I'm going to do it anyway. So Creek is a prolific writer with tons of books, gear, outdoor skills, and survival resources to his name. Creek's the founder of Willow Haven Outdoors, a Paco Box, and is the host of SOS How to Survive on the Weather Channel. In podcast 2, Creek helped us walk through the truths, myths, and practical considerations of bugging out, building a bug out bag, which I highly recommend you guys go back and listen to. But today, we're going to talk about how to prepare for and survive a weather-related crisis, anything from a simple power outage to bigger disasters like hurricanes. Welcome back, Creek. Welcome back, Creek. Glad you're here again. Hey, always good to be with you guys. Appreciate you having me back on the show. Oh, man, uh, we I learned so much from you that first show, and uh, I know I'm going to learn a lot more from you this time as well, as well as our listeners. So you want to dig right into it? I'm ready to rock. Let's go, man. Let's I, came, I came here prepared. So in multiple seasons that you have had um, the show SOS How to Survive and you've been hosting it, it's been your job, in essence, to look at natural disaster events that can lead to survival situations and basically to go about deconstructing them and show folks how to prepare for and survive. So 
why do you think it's important for everyone to have some knowledge and awareness of natural and weather related disasters? I'm going to I'm just going to step back for just a, just a little bit and say that I would say it's important for people to have knowledge and awareness for any kind of survival related scenario including natural and weather related disasters because they just flat out happen all the time to people, you know, natural disasters, of course, man-made disasters, which we hear about all the time as well. But then all of the sudden and unexpected disasters that happen to people while they're getting lost on a logging road or taking the wrong direction that their GPS tells them to, or even out on a cruise ship in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that shuts down and all of a sudden becomes a survival cruise ship for three days. It happens all the time to people. And I don't think that any of us are kind of off the table when it comes to survival scenarios. I have this saying, it's not if, but when, and I really truly believe that it's not if, but when each one of us will face a sudden and unexpected survival scenario one day. So as it relates to, uh, if if we dig into these weather-related types, I thought I would just go through some of these and get your thoughts on each one. And that way we can share some thoughts and that way we can help everybody that's listening. Does that sound like a plan to you? Perfect. I'll do my best to to chime in anything that I can. So uh, I guess to be a little selfish because tornadoes are something that occur here where I live in Kentucky very regularly. I, I'd like to dig into those first. It's, it's something that has happened. We've got a an area here nearby where I live that had a severe tornado uh, disaster just a few short years ago. From your perspective, can you share some things that are important considerations for tornadoes, including anything such as gear, mindset, equipment, how you should go about taking care of yourself, bugging in, bugging out, anything that you can share about tornadoes? You know, tornadoes are a little unique in the realm of natural disasters because they do come on suddenly and sometimes without warning. Whereas most of the other natural disasters that um, happen and that we'll probably discuss, sometimes people have as much as two weeks of warning for these for these things before they strike. But tornadoes are a little different. They just kind of brew up and start spinning out fairly suddenly and can kind of catch a community or someone off guard. So a, a common theme that you're going to hear me talk about when it comes to natural disasters is not less necessarily preparing for how to survive the disaster itself, but more sur- preparing to survive the aftermath of what the disaster does. Okay, so I'll do my best to you know give tips and tricks for each one of these natural disasters. A lot of them are going to feel and seem really common sense, but so often it's all about the basics. But I think more importantly is being prepared to deal with the aftermath and and all of those things that a disaster presents. So tornadoes, you know, most people who live in tornado areas are already familiar with the fact that, you know, going going sub-level is the way to go. You know, having access to some type of a basement, some type of a a tornado shelter is ideal. Um, But in the event that you don't have that, um, somewhere interior away from doors and windows and some kind of sturdy area with your head and face covered are the best action steps. So Creek, how about vehicles? And could you weather a tornado in a vehicle? 
Well, I mean, you should never try to outrun a tornado in a vehicle. Typically, vehicles are fairly safe when it comes to tornadoes, as long as as long as they're not passing right over a vehicle. You would be better off to be inside of a vehicle typically than stepping outside of a vehicle and kind of weathering the tornado that way. But one really common mistake that you see happening in tornadoes when people are driving along the expressway is they get out and they get underneath a bridge or an overpass. And that is actually not the best strategy, even though it may seem like a really nice protected area. Those actually create almost a vacuum effect as the tornadoes passing by can literally suck you out from underneath that bridge or that overpass. It's actually better to get out in the open in kind of a low-lying area is statistically safer than trying to take shelter under an overpass or under a bridge. Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of people miss as far as tornadic activity is they, they concern themselves with just being caught up in the tornado themselves. But one of the big dangers is it's flying debris. Even if you're outside the tornado and things are flying around and you get struck by a board, a piece of tin, a Yep. Uh, any number of things flying around, that that's going to cause serious problems for anybody. Even the smallest kind of debris. I mean, it can be really small when it's going that fast can be a devastating impact. Yeah, Creek. So in my part of the world, our biggest yearly threats, they revolve around severe cold, ice, snowstorms. Do you have a story or two illustrating how these threats can intersect our lives and put us in a crisis situation? I mean, do you have all day? Because I have a thousand, st- <laughs> I mean, I have a thousand stories that happen every single winter from people who are either cut off from the grid due to some type of ice or winter storm, or from people who are stranded in their vehicle due to being stuck in the middle of a winter storm. It happens all the time, and anyone who lives in areas that that are cold in northern environments in the country will tell you that this is not uncommon and. It's com- It's common sense and common knowledge to prepare for those at least a couple times a year. That's good. So what preparations would you recommend people take? Well, at home, there's at home and there's in your car, and they happen equally, uh, equally in both places. In your car, you have to be prepared to hunker down a little bit because sometimes leaving in those conditions, your vehicle in search of rescue, especially if you're out in the middle of nowhere, is the bad decision, you know. But having weather-appropriate clothing, a couple of blankets, some weather-appropriate shoes, just basic. In those situations, it's not about surviving typically long-term. It's not about surviving two weeks or three weeks in your car. It's typically just getting through a few hours until you can either get pulled out or um, someone drives by. And so it's really basic kind of exposure-type kit items, you know, a lot of clothing, shoes, gloves, hats, things like that. I just want to back you up on the idea of, because this is very important, I think, is the idea of staying with your vehicle. That is shelter. And in these events where people have gotten lost due to what I refer to as death by GPS, where they get hung out to dry, they've they followed Tom Tom down the wrong road and got stuck or something of that nature. Uh, the statistics are there to back up what Creek is saying. It's there to tell all of us that staying with your vehicle is the best solution. If you've done what we described in podcast one, which is tell someone where you're going, when you expect to return, who you're going with, then uh, if you stay with your car, you're going to be found. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's true. And pretty much, I mean, 
almost every survival scenario with few exceptions is to just simply stay put. Yeah, that's a big that's a big theme of the way that we approach what I what I teach, what I write about, what we talk about on the podcast. It's it's always that mindset of stop, think, observe, plan, and then actively stay alive in your mind. I tell you what, Craig, in all the stories that I study on the show, SOS, where we study real life past survival scenarios, it always gets worse when they start moving. Yeah. Always. For our listeners, it's not just something that's on a TV show that Creek is sharing. His TV show is just a reflection of statistics, real world statistics. It's not some cherry pick thing that uh, that he's pulled out to make for a great show, although they are great shows. It's something that is statistically likely, and and your best solution, everybody, is to just stay put and, and get some help to you because you're going to, uh, as Creek has said, you're going to start having major trouble as soon as you leave. And it's tragic. I mean, it, there's so many stories that I've read along these lines where family members that have stayed at the car lived, family members that left the car to become hero died. And so uh, I don't want families to uh, experience that sort of tragedy. So just stay with the vehicle. Yeah, it must be human nature to attempt self-rescue. It just must be human nature because everybody does it. In all these stories that we study, these real-life past survival scenarios, they all attempt self-rescue. It has to be ingrained in our nature as human beings because every single person does it. There must be something about moving or walking that makes you feel like you're getting out of a situation because it happens almost 100% of the time. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I that I read two particular stories, um, and this is why I, I'm a big fan of talking to people and, and trying to help people learn how to control their own ego is that two stories in particular, a husband and wife got into a serious disagreement about uh, whose fault it was that they had gone into a bad situation. And it was ego that said, all right, then I'll just leave kind of attitude. And that person left and that person died in two different particular situations. And, And if they could have just simply controlled their ego then that too would have been uh, a huge benefit to that family being able to stay together. And, and I, I just think it's tragic if we can just learn how to control ourselves. And, and that's, it's simple. And as you said earlier, the answer to a lot of these issues is just basics, but that is so basic, but it saves lives. Lately, it seems like every season and the season seems to be continuing to grow where hurricanes are either an issue that they might be coming or they have already landed. Uh, this past season has been incredibly busy all over the U.S., it seems like. What have we learned or what have you learned that you can share about the show or just your own experience or research about these recent hurricane-related events that you feel in particular would be beneficial to those that are preparing and those that are listening today? Okay, a really good question and very topical because hurricane season comes around every fall, no fail, okay? So here, here's what I've learned is that every single person that I've ever interviewed and talked to, and I've interviewed a ton and heard the story of so many people who have survived and been through hurricanes, here's the thing. Every single one of them knew it was coming, It didn't surprise any of them. In fact, all of them knew it was coming potentially 
a couple weeks in advance of when it arrived, okay, and did not heed the warnings of evacuating. Now, some people didn't have the resources to evacuate. Some people literally didn't have the money to evacuate. They literally didn't have a place to go and were kind of in between a rock and a hard place. You know, I've interviewed people who have survived Hurricane Harvey and there's certain challenges. I just recently was down in Puerto Rico and seven months after Hurricane Maria ravaged Puerto Rico, the entire island is still without electricity. The entire island is still being run on generators. Even the capital city of San Juan, the hotel I was in in San Juan was powered by a generator. And it's it's crazy the devastation that a hurricane does. But I tell you, the biggest thing I've learned is just leave when they say it's coming. Whether you think it's going to be a big one or not, just leave. Man, that is such sound advice. Because particularly as it relates to hurricanes, uh, we do have such advanced notice. And I, and I wonder, going back to what you said earlier, that we might have this desire to to uh, leave, to take care of ourselves in like a wilderness-related event or a car or something of that nature. I wonder why so many people feel it necessary, or do you have any ideas why you think some people just want to, uh, I see on the news people go, we're going to ride it out, yep. and that sort of attitude, and I, I just don't understand that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, we we actually got into the, we have gotten into the psychology of why people do that, and it's their stuff, man. It's the emotion, there is an emotional attachment to stuff. You know, there's an emotional, and I get that, there's an emotional attachment to pictures and photos and grandma, grandma's armoire and great grandma's bed and your gun collection and all of that stuff. There is a deep emotional connection to that stuff that will keep people home in the midst of a crazy disaster like a hurricane. It's stuff. It's just, we've got to learn how to help the people that are listening, your life is not less important than stuff. It's more important than stuff. Everybody needs to understand that. Whether it's a hurricane or it's self-defense, don't don't hang on to the purse of some bad guys grabbing your purse. Let them have it. And when that hurricane's coming, you need to let go of that stuff. It it's it's not as important as your life. That's for certain. So as far as hurricanes, another thing that comes up, particular man, this this was a major issue with Harvey down in Houston. I'm sure you saw. Uh, that came along with hurricane related disaster was flooding. Yeah. Uh, I personally think flooding is one of these issues that people just, I don't think people understand how powerful Mm -mm. water can be at times. So with it being such an overlooked concern, in my opinion, except maybe like in arid climates or some of that nature, flash flooding can cause some seriously large problems. What are some of the major things that you feel we need to know about flooding and how can we best take care of ourselves or what kind of items can we have on hand? It's interesting because, you know, a lot of the disasters that we talk about, what ultimately chases people from their homes in some of these disasters, especially hurricanes, is the flooding. It's not the hurricane. It's it's the flooding that comes with the hurricane or with the tropical storm or with the or with just kind of the a storm, a, a big kind of summer storm powering through the Midwest. Oftentimes, flooding is what is the most devastating aspect of some some of these natural disasters. And I tell you, man, if you've never seen a flood happening in real time, there is nothing on planet Earth. I don't care what kind of piece of machinery you're the biggest army tanker, the biggest dump truck, whatever. There is nothing that can compete. Nothing that man makes or does can compete with the power of, of, of turbulent flooding water. It is absolutely scary. So, Creek, from rain weather events like flooding, hurricanes, I think sometimes we can 
overlook thunderstorms. And one question I like to ask people just for my own reference and, and for teaching others is what would you recommend to people who find themselves in a thunderstorm and they, they don't have a shelter? What, what's the best thing to do for those folks? Yeah, well, you know, with most thunderstorms comes lightning. And I think lightning is actually a really underrated risk that people don't take take as seriously as they should. In fact, every year there's approximately 6,000 people who are struck and killed by lightning in the world. That's a well, lot of people. I had no that idea. High. That's a lot of people killed across the globe by lightning in a year. And there's 240,000 people roughly injured, you know, due to kind of due to lightning related events, you know, whether it strikes near them or around them or it strikes a tree and, you know, the limb falls off on their car. You know, lightning's a big deal and it is a really, really powerful force to be reckoned with. And almost all of those people who, are you know have an exposure to lightning in the midst of a thunderstorm are outside. There are definitely kind of some rules of thumb, I guess you could say, when it comes to being you know the danger of a thunderstorm isn't necessarily the water unless it's a flash flood type situation. Never camp in low areas, river basins and dry riverbeds, things like that. But lightning, the best place for lightning is not at the highest place, not at the lowest place, but just kind of amidst scrub brush. Ideally, no no tall trees around, no tall buildings around. Ideally, kind of right in the middle where there's just kind of some scrub brush around, minimizing how much of your body is touching the ground. Ideally, kind of crouched on the balls of your feet. We had a class one time several years ago where... Uh, we were out as a wilderness survival class, and we were out, and it it came a, a pretty severe thunderstorm, more severe than than the forecast had told us it was going to be, and we actually had lightning hit a tree within probably ten feet. Wow, of where we were, and the destruction of that tree was just so. I mean, everybody sees this, but when you're sitting within ten to fifteen feet of this thing, I mean, just the sheer. Uh, debris that flew off and flew around and, and hit towards other people. Fortunately, nobody was hurt, but uh, it was a situation where we had actually have done everything that you just described. We were in the perfect spot, but this particular spot was just, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, to- totally unpredictable. You know, I think something that a lot of people may overlook when it comes to thunderstorms is, you know, I heard a tragic story, um, not that just just happened a couple of weeks ago about a scouter out camping, Boy Scout out camping with his troop, and a widowmaker came down in the middle of the night and um, and killed him. Widowmakers just kind of paying attention to where you're camping, in the in especially if thunderstorms are predicted. Man, that's so important. You know, it yeah, is absolutely. so important. Those things are so deadly. And I can't tell you how oftentimes I see people not consider that when picking a shelter spot. Mm-hmm. Look up, down, and all around. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that same breath, people need to be aware of being in, in valleys and low areas too, right? Sure, for flash floods. I don't know. Flash I witnessed a flash flood in Texas once man and it was the craziest thing i've ever seen in my life literally we were out in the middle of nowhere in the desert and it was sunny and beautiful and the sky was blue and i kid you not it sounded like a freight train 
was on its way to us. And then off in the distance in this little tiny riverbed, it looked like the earth was moving toward us like a wall of earth but it was just water and debris that was coming from somewhere way away from where we were and you would not believe how fast and powerful this flash flood i i would have never believed it believed if i hadn't seen it with my own two eyes it was so crazy yeah and like you you mentioned earlier is uh, the power just the simple power of that coming through that's if you're in the middle of it there is not going to be any stopping it it's going to take you there's you you don't have any choice in that matter yeah it it is just so crazy man i mean the amount of debris that it had already collected and it didn't even look like water it was so coated Hmm. in like it was so muddy it looked like literally like a small hill coming from the distance toward you it was the weirdest thing wow. i was like blinking my eyes like what in the world is it a tr- is are this am i on the set of trimmers you know that's what i felt like you know it was the weirdest thing man and it, you could hear it before you saw it i'm sure we have some listeners out there that this is a common thing but for somebody like me or obviously creek too that's that's going to be a fantastic event to to want to get away from, stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Golly. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, I want to dig into something, maybe not weather related, but it, it sort of is basically the destruction that comes from widespread fire. It might be that it's been human made, but because the environment situation is dry because of a, uh, you know, some sort of dry spell, some of that nature, we have these widespread fires that we almost like hurricanes, we're starting to see these each and every year. What kind of precautions can we take before, during, or maybe even after an event where we're in close proximity to to these types of areas? Well, this is a prime example of it's not necessarily preparing how to deal with a disaster. It's preparing to leave. Uh, This is the classic example of that. Mentioning fire has a soft place in my heart because this is actually back in 2012 when I wrote Build the Perfect Bug Out Bag. Soon after that, there were major, and you maybe even still remember them, there were major wildfire events in Colorado just a couple years after that. And my first kind of I used your book and it saved my life story that came to me was from a guy who had purchased build a perfect bug out bag. He made him a bug out bag. And just a couple of months later, there was a wildfire that took over the mountain that he lived on and he was chased from his home. And he literally credited having a bug out bag prepped in advance saved his life because he he had driven down he had to abandon his car he had to walk his car was his car ended up getting burned up i mean it was the whole deal and he had all those kit items on his person to get him through a couple of days in the middle of nowhere and so fires are a prime example of disasters where you don't necessarily prep to deal with the disaster you prep in advance to get away from it right that's man that's a great story too we said it in the last time you visited with us, and, and we've kind of touched upon it here now, but the idea of a bug-out bag is just something that if you don't have it and you're listening to us again, then you need to start today on getting it together. Go back to podcast two where Creek goes through some ideas on what you can put in a kit. Uh, as he said back then, it just it's going to take just a few dollars and a few hours, and you're going to have yourself a, a bug-out kit. You can get that done on one Saturday easily, very easily, so don't. Don't bypass that. If you're listening to us, don't bypass it. Go ahead and get one done today. And don't overcomplicate it. 
Yeah, seriously. You know, just throw some, just start by throwing some stuff in a bag. You know, 80% of what you need, you already have. As far as weather related events, is there, particularly because you've done so much research and you've had so many conversations with people that have, that have had to deal with weather related disaster, is there anything that comes out of that sort of experience and, and research that you would like to know that we haven't talked about? Uh, anything in particular that we need to make sure that our our listeners get a hold of? You know, sometimes people ask me what's the most important survival skill, and I struggle between two. I'll most often say fire because fire has so much to do with the other survival priorities. But sometimes I just want to say the ability to dress yourself for the weather in which you're going to be exposed to is your most important survival skill. Because I can't tell you how many weather-related survival stories I study that aren't necessarily a natural disaster, but have everything to do with someone going snowmobiling or taking a drive or taking a hike or going hunting into the weather, and they just aren't dressed to deal with it if, they're, if something happens, if something goes wrong. And so the note I would make there is just paying special attention to the weather forecast in advance and preparing for a worst possible case scenario within the weather environment that you're about to walk into, that you're about to drive into or camp into, and just be prepared to deal with that with the clothing on your body. Very few of the survival scenarios would be as nearly as bad as they become if people were just dressed appropriately. People can go to the Weather Channel or use their app or whatever, and it's just so easy to know what to expect with regards to the weather. And it's just important to make sure that we dress appropriately, right? I know it sounds so simple and it sounds just so elementary, but I tell you, man, it's a major factor in how these real life survival stories play out. Yeah. One thing that to make sure that everybody understands is, is again, make sure if you get stuck somewhere, stay with your car. But if, even if you have to get out and change a tire or something like that, I always recommend people have, uh, particularly for business folks that might be wearing very thin suit have some really nice dress shoes or for the ladies out there, you're wearing heels or something like that. Have an extra pair of shoes that can, that can handle being outdoors. That way, if you have to change a tire or if you have to uh, get out of your car and walk, you know, a hundred yards down the road, then you have the ability to have the right clothes on and, and the right footwear to be able to deal with it. There was one story that came up because a, a gentleman died because he had, basically dress shoes on he had he had a good coat his core body temp was fine but his feet got so cold and wet that he ended up falling down and succumbing to uh hypothermia but uh just a good pair of boots would have fixed the issue i mean it's it's not just the clothes on your back it's the definitely we got to take care of our feet all right so one thing uh, i like to make sure that we take the time to discuss too as far as it relates to weather related events is is setting yourself up for success when it comes to somebody rescuing you or communication with others or signaling. So what kind of things Creek can, do you think we should be able to do to maintain our proper communication with, let's say our family, a team or a unit or a search and rescue team or anybody of that nature? 
Well, you know, even though in a lot of disaster scenarios, uh, cell phone service can be disabled, cell phones are still the best mode of communication for most people in a survival scenario. So I'm going to go back to keeping, having a method of recharging your cell phone during an off-grid type situation. You know, I've talked to so many um, disaster survival victims who have been displaced from their home due to a large-scale natural disaster. Their cell phone is working just fine, but all of a sudden they're in a situation where they don't have the means to recharge their cell phone. So having that battery backup inside of your bug out bag goes a really long way. And as a backup to cell phones, I'm a huge fan of portable CB radios. You know, I grew up using a CB radio. My my handle was Tadpole <laughs> and my dad's nice. handle was Cardinal. And we could use CB radios to communicate when we didn't feel like picking up the phone. And those are just as viable now as they ever were before. Uh, I'm assuming, and just correct me if I'm wrong, you're not advocating that everybody should always assume that we're going to have cell phone service either. Let's make that real clear too. Yeah. So one thing I'd like to accent too, and, and please Creek, throw your thoughts in here on this as well as is having rally locations and some form of communicating with your children. For example, where everybody's gone to work for the day, the kids have gone to school, and then uh, surprise disasters such as, you know, tornado or, you know, an earthquake is not a weather-related event, but it is a natural disaster. Something like this occurs, uh, having up rally points or rendezvous points and having those set beforehand is a good thing for families or teams or units or agencies to be able to connect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a rally point is a fantastic idea. It's certainly possible that you're not going to be able to get in touch with your loved ones, either via text or cell phone or even some type of handheld radio. And in the event that you can't, it is a great idea to know that, okay, I can't get in touch with people. We know to meet at the church or we know to meet at home or we know to meet at grandma and grandpa's house. That way you're not all just scattered around searching for one another, which is basically creating a situation where you're definitely not going to find each other. So let's take a, a little bit of a divergent path over to gear for all these things. Let's, if we look at these, uh, these weather-related events as a whole, there's probably some things, I know we talked a little bit about this in podcast two, so go back, if you're listening to us, go back and listen to that one as well. But what kind of things can we have with us that are tools that are easy to improvise for any number of different crises? You know, it's going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but I'm going to go back to a bug out bag, something that everyone should build. I know I talk about bug out bags a lot, but that's because I have a lot of experience in dealing with people who have been through natural disasters where a bug out bag could have or has made all the difference in the world. So just a real quick download on what should be in a bug out bag, kind of the top five or six things that every bug out bag should have. Number one, you should have some type of a shelter. And in my opinion, it should be just a really simple pop-up tent. You know, tents are really affordable these days and there's no shelter quite like a tent to keep you protected from the elements. Number two, you should have water. Not only should you have fresh drinking water in your bug out bag, at least a couple of liters, but you should have a way to get more water. Um, I use a Sawyer Mini filter, which is capable of filtering wild wire water up to a up to 100,000 gallons. I mean, that could pretty much keep you in water for the rest of your life. 
Okay. Number three, you want to have a little bit of food, even though you can get by for a long time without food. You know, we're wired these days to eat on a regular basis. And so you want to pack open and eat meals like granola bars or power bars or cliff bars, something that's really simple that doesn't require heating, that doesn't require rehydration. You can literally open it up and eat it and you've got a makeshift meal. You need at least three days worth of meals like that. So, and you also need to have some type of some gear to start a fire, okay? Because fire relates to all other survival priorities. Not only can it regulate core body temperature, but you may be able to boil water, cook food, signal for rescue. I mean, it it is related to every other survival priority. So keep some fire starting tools in your bug out bag. The go-to items for me are a ferro rod, which is just a metal match that can create sparks in any environment, and some petroleum jelly-soaked cotton balls. That is the best fire-starting tinder that you're ever going to find and that you're ever going to make, and it's probably the cheapest, and you can do it at home with you know, with hardly any supplies at all. The other thing you want to really consider is a first aid kit, okay? You want to have a tourniquet. You want to have um, some, some real bandages in there, not just little Band-Aids, because most injuries that happen in a disaster survival scenario are major injuries. You need to have a SAM splint, a couple of cotton cravats, a tourniquet, some major wound dressing, maybe some burn gel, um, and a few items that can go a long way in helping you mitigate, you know, pretty serious first aid issues because those are the ones that present real threats in a survival scenario. So if you've got those five areas covered, then you're, heck, 90% of the way to putting together a really awesome three-day survival kit. Right. Yeah, that's so – I know you keep saying it, Creek, but it's so true. It's just basic, but just do it. Folks, we need to do this stuff. Yeah, guys, this is all great. I've been just kind of sitting back. I mean, does it get any better to have Craig Cottle and and Creek Stewart here answering our questions for us? And and so I've been really blessed, guys. Creek, before we move on, do you have a couple of action steps that our listeners could take this week to be better prepared for weather-related natural disaster events? And we kind of just covered that with bug-out bags, but is there anything else that would be an action step. Maybe break maybe break it all down. Let's just say we have a listener right now who is not prepared at all. What are three simple things that they can do that are not going to cost them an arm and a leg to be better prepared? Well, obviously, the first step is getting together a bug out bag just in case you have to suddenly evacuate. You don't, it takes the takes the all the decision making out of the process you've got everything you need on your back but in addition to a bug out bag i'd say the top three things that someone needs to kind of check off their disaster preparedness list are things that you need to have in your house because ideally you have some storage items in your house that can get you through an extended period of time in an off-grid scenario so three things number one water storage okay in my opinion in my hum I M H O, in my humble opinion, you need to have at least one gallon of water per person per day for 30 days. A one month supply of water. FEMA suggests two weeks. I'm gonna Creek Stewart's gonna suggest an extra two weeks, one month. That should get you through pretty much any large scale natural disaster that's gonna strike almost any area in the country. 
Okay, so these water is best stored um, for the average person in old two liter bottles. Uh, those make really great storage containers for water. Uh, just clean them out, wash them out and fill them up with tap water and throw them in somewhere that you can just forget about. They'll be good for approximately a year, maybe even longer. After that, just consider replacing them or replenishing them with new fresh water. Okay. Number two is you want some food storage, 30 days worth of food storage. And that may sound a little overwhelming at first, but it's really not that hard. It can be a combination of freeze dried foods, of dehydrated foods, like camping meals, mountain house type meals. It can be a lot of canned goods, um, a lot of open and eat style meals, and it can be dry goods like oats and wheat and flour and pancake mix and powdered milk, things like that. It's not hard and it's not really expensive to put together a 30-day meal supply for each person using those kind of three categories of foods. You can buy those you know, at almost any grocery store um, at super discounted prices and stock your shelves for 30 days pretty easily. And then the the third the third category I would say if I have to pick just 3 Especially for people who are in colder climates, you need to have an alternate heat source. If you don't have a wood-burning stove, I would suggest going out to your local home improvement store and picking up a kerosene space heater and then 30 days worth of kerosene kerosene oil um, to fuel that space heater just in case you're grid down in a cold weather scenario. My grandparents, actually both sets of my grandparents, heated their homes in Indiana and in Kentucky, very cold climate areas throughout the winters my entire life on kerosene space heaters okay follow the instructions they can be a fire hazard if you don't use them right but in general they're really great heaters and they're really safe to use and they are a fantastic backup heat source for a disaster survival scenario so that's my list those are great tips uh, one thing i want to key in on is the fact that you need to prepare beforehand I know in, in our situation here, we had a major power outage and this was years ago and my, and Ben, producer Ben and I, we were scrambling to find a generator. He had to drive like 150 miles oh, because wow. they were sold out everywhere, so, everywhere. So Creek, my last question, and this is one that, that our subscribers over on Patreon really want to know. And this is one we have not talked about. So, Creek, who is your favorite TV survival guy? Bear Grylls, Les Stroud, yourself, or someone else? All right, so if you want to hear Creek's answer to this question, go over to patreon.com slash the survival show and subscribe right now to unlock Creek's answer. Get some great rewards and other exclusive content. Creek, my new friend, Creek. Thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate you being here. Creek, and please come back anytime. Yeah, awesome, guys. Appreciate you having me on, and I'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great, That's man. Awesome. That sounds great. Okay, Craig, so do we have time for a question from the mailbag? You betcha we do. Let's take a look at this today because this is this is a pretty good question right here. So here is the question that Billy J wants to know. If you could only take three individual items on a show like Alone, what would you take? Go for it, Woo, David. That's a good, that's a really good question because they get to take 10 plus they get some mandatory items that they just, they just get. They don't talk about it on the show much, but 
That's that's really good, man. I, uh, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to feed off my answer? No, I understand. So, man, that, that is a tough question if we can only take three, but I'll, I'll knock this out. Number one is a, a knife. Uh, assuming that we're going on a loan and uh, we're going to be in a wilderness-related area, then I'm definitely going to be taking a knife. Number two, number two, I'm going to take some form of uh, fire starting. I don't know what is allowed, but I would probably take something like a ferrocerium rod, uh, ferrocerium because it's going to be able to work in whatever conditions it's going to throw at me, uh, particularly wet weather, cold weather, it's still going to work. And the third, man, limiting me to three is tough, but uh, I, I'm, I have a tough call between taking a, a tarp or a container. Uh, what I mean by that is I, I probably, because it's more difficult, in my opinion, to make a container out of the wilderness that is easy to use, that is. it's You can make one, but they're uh, easy to use container would be something I would take probably before the tarp because it's easier to make a shelter from the environment than it is to make a usable, portable container. So, to summarize, I would take a knife, a ferro rod, and a, like a small pot. What say you, David? <laughs> All right. So we, we kind of crossed over on a few things. One, I would take a specific, very specific knife. I would take my MSK-1. And if I could get away with it, the reason I would take the MSK-1 is, is one, it's, it's a good, it's a great utility tool for this particular type of situation. But also in the handle, I've got fire, water, fishing hooks, food some first aid items, and those are all in there, including a little ferro rod. So if I could get away with it, I would take just my standard MSK-1 that I carry all the time. And that gets me that, it, it may be a cheat. Is that a cheat? <laughs> if it's I'll, a cheat. I'll let you have that one. Okay. So I would take an MSK-1. We'll call that one. Okay, that's one. Number two. I would I would take something to make a shelter, a tarp, something like that. And then I would take a bivy or a sleeping bag. Hmm. All right, cool. And and literally, especially this time of the year, I mean, hypothermia is pretty much our number one killer, right? So that's kind of what I'm looking at. And if I could take the MSK-1, I've got some tools in there, last-ditch tools that would really be helpful. If I could not take the MSK-1 with the kit in it, I would take uh, either a bivy shelter, probably take a bivy shelter and fire-making tools. So then we're, you and I are right in alignment. Man, I love, I love questions like that where people get to consider things. So what I would like to do is ask everybody that's listening is, what would you take? Yeah, Consider that. Question. Consider that for yourself. What would you take? And one thing that it's important to understand is that we're trying to throw out information, knowledge, uh, some experience. And we love that you listen to us, but we want you to know that we want you to make the best decisions for you, for those of you that are listening out there. So you listen to what we're saying. You listen to what these experts are saying, just like Creek Stewart and the others that will be on our show. And then uh, use that information for you to make the best decision for you. One of my instructors, one of my mentors says it like this. My way is not the way of doing things. It is a way of doing things. So we want you to have a way for you. So take all this information and make that happen. That is a fantastic point, Craig. 
All right, man, take us home. All right, so coming up next time on the Survival Show podcast, we're going to be talking about one of a couple of things. We haven't even settled on it yet. So we're either going to be talking about active shooters and how to survive that, or we're going to be talking about nuclear or biological and chemical threats. So do this for me. Subscribe to the podcast now. And if you enjoy the podcast, do this for me. Help a brother out. I call it hashtag HBO. Help a brother out. Please share it with your friends and go over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. So that way, uh, more people get the same information and we can help one another grow. Click the link in the description to grab your copy of the show notes. There's a lot of stuff here that Creek went through, and it's it'd be a good thing for you to get those notes to take in what needs to be taken in. That's going to include the tips, tactics, skills, action steps, and kit checklist links for all of that and the gear that we discussed today on the show. And right now, go to patreon.com slash forward slash the survival show to unlock the exclusive subscriber rewards, including additional podcasts, training videos, new resources and gear that we are working on, like the tiny survival guide and a lot of cool stuff that are like super squirrel secret right now, but are coming out soon. That is the patreon.com the survival show patreon.com the survival show and remember it's hashtag hbo help a brother out help us out we need your help me and david can sit on the phone and talk to each other all day long but we're doing this for you so you help us out and we really appreciate it so with that said all right guys we're we're really appreciative of the fact that you've been with us thanks for listening we'll see and or hear you next time on the survival show podcast